Acts chapter 13. And today I want to just talk about seeking God together. And I'm going to read the passage for us. And uh, then we'll take a short moment of silence and then hop right into it. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaen, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and then sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Let me just bow our heads, close our eyes, and just take a, a few moments to focus our hearts and our minds. And I want to encourage you, as we're taking this moment of silence, it'll be more than 10 seconds, to just kind of open your heart and say, Jesus, here I am. Here I am. You may be here right now. Uh, struggling. You may be in a really good place. You may just be somewhere in between, which is completely fine. But as, you, as we just reflect and prepare to hear the word, may our hearts be just open and say, here I am. So let's just bow our heads. Our Father, as you are in heaven, you're also here. May we begin to grasp how extravagant your love is for us. Room you may struggle with or doubt your mercy and your grace your forgiveness, your cleansing, even your empowering. We just confess, here we are. This is where we're at. We don't want to be in that place. And so we're here today with a sense of hope or even without a sense of hope that you will come and visit in a way that manifests this experience, this encounter with a real Jesus, a living Jesus, who's been raised from the dead and who gives us life. And may your Holy Spirit speak so clearly to us. We pray this in Jesus. Amen. Just to start with a question, how do you respond when you're confronted with a life-altering decision? Uh, it could be any decision. Sometimes the decisions that we have could be between two positives, like this is a really good thing, 
and this is a really good thing, which one do I do? Or it could be a series of negatives where you kind of sit there and think, ooh, that's not good, that's not going to turn out right, and that's definitely not going to be good, and this is really going to take me to a place where I don't want to go. It's kind of making a decision based on picking your poison, which one is going to be the least painful. Has anyone ever been in a place like that, or am I the only fool who struggles with Okay, one person, I said, okay, a few of us, okay. Uh, to kind of get to know you a little bit, uh, we don't want to do a drive-by preaching. I'm just going to ask, is there anyone here that has a life-altering decision that they're going through right now? You don't have to tell us what it is, but okay, one. And did you raise your hand, or you're just, oh, you're just doing your hair? Okay, all right. <laughs> Got to be careful here, I, I can see. So uh, Hannah has a life-altering decision. Anyone else? So the, the question that I want to look at today is, is, how do we as a corporate body even come together and work through some life-altering decisions that confront either us as individuals or confront us as a church? And so as we look at Acts chapter 13, we get an example from the church at Antioch on how we look at making decisions or how, in a sense, decisions are made for us or with us. <coughs> if you look at this passage in verse 1, the first thing that we're confronted with is a team of five people who are completely diverse. Uh, and, and so it's interesting to see how these people, these prophets and teachers, come together, and not just to hang out and teach, but to actually seek God in the midst of all this. In verse 2, what I find is interesting, it says, one day as these men, or the church, were gathered worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work for which I have called them. Now, when I read this passage, I think of a couple things. And the first one is, when I look at the words one day, I think to myself, what does it mean when Luke is saying one day? In other words, is it one day they just happened to get together, and in getting together, the Holy Spirit spoke to them? That's a real possibility. It was one day. Or is it one day in the midst of all the Sundays that they got together, was it on this one special day that actually the Spirit spoke to them while they were fasting and praying? Now, I, I, I want to make this distinction because I think it's important because in the end, even though it was one day, God may actually have been doing something in their midst already, working on their hearts and creating them a sort of dissonance in their hearts as to, like, there's something missing. Do you ever wake up in the morning and you feel like something is missing? Anybody, you don't have to raise your hands, but because sometimes I wake up in the morning and my thing was, there's just not something right in my spirit right now. And it, it bothers me, and I struggle with it. So I wonder, this one day, in the midst of leading up to all of these events, did the church come together and just feel some sort of something missing? There's something more that we can do in this church at Antioch. And to me, when I look at this, I don't think it was just one random day out of nowhere that suddenly the Spirit spoke to them. Like, if we're here in the middle of service, and suddenly someone stands up and says, this thus, thus says the Lord. Would that not be interesting, different, unique? I don't think that's what's happening here. I think what's happening is something that is more of a lifestyle. <coughs> Let me explain it this way. How many of you enjoyed Star Wars 7 
the Force Awakens. Really? Wow. Okay, I guess, you know, love you. <laughs> Their opinions, right? Um, I watched it again the second time in bits and pieces, and uh, I still struggle with the movie. It's really hard to watch. Um, <coughs> mind you, that's just an opinion. And uh, as I'm watching this movie and preparing for the message, well, I mean, not that's the same time, by the way, it's just so that you're not freaking out. <laughs> you know how you watch stuff and it happens in life. And uh, as I'm watching it, I'm looking at Ray and realizing she's doing all these Jedi tricks with no training. And my natural reaction is, come on, really? You're trying to do somebody's mind? You don't even know about stuff like that. How are you doing it? So to me, the whole movie was not really good. Please, no hate mail. But just to imagine that suddenly you're walking down the road and then you're in some starship and now suddenly you're using the force. Really? I think that's not what happened here either. It's not like one day the church just got together and suddenly the Holy Spirit just spoke. I think what's happening at this church in Antioch is something of what I would call a lifestyle. <coughs> so here are some of the verses I want to share with you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Give me a second here, sorry. <coughs> Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then when you get to the church at Antioch, you come to the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, and in verse 21, it says this. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So you have this church here in Acts chapter 13, this church at Antioch, where these five leaders are, where the church is gathered, where the church is speaking, and one day the Holy Spirit speaks. And this is not just some crazy event that just happens out of nowhere, but it's an event that happens because of what's been going on beforehand. Because the church at Antioch, after the persecution in Acts chapter 9, when you come to Acts chapter 11, you read what? You read the words that people are coming to the Lord in droves. And we connect it with Acts chapter 1-8 because it, what it means is that the Holy Spirit is living and active at the church at Antioch. God is doing something, doing something so good that the apostles in Jerusalem look at Antioch and they say, hey, something's going on over there. We need to send Barnabas. And Barnabas is a, a church leader who is an encourager, and they send them out there. And this is what Acts chapter 11, verse 24 says about Barnabas. Barnabas was a good man, full of the, can you fill this in really quickly without even looking? Is it up there? No, it's not. Okay, good. Full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Do you see the connection? Acts chapter 1, you have power. People will come to Jesus. Uh, Acts chapter 11, the church at Antioch, people are coming to Jesus in droves. Barnabas arrives at the church. People are still coming because the Holy Spirit is active and working. And in verse 28, it says, one of them named Agabus stood up in the meetings and predicted by the Holy Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. And that's happening in this church. 
And when you get to Acts chapter 13, in verse 2, you have the Holy Spirit speaking and calling two people to come into ministry. And in Acts chapter 4, the church gets together and by the Holy Spirit sends them out. So when it says one day, it is one day, but this one day has been building up to this one day where God now is going to give them a life-altering decision, a church-altering decision, a world-changing decision, because the Holy Spirit has been active in their midst. Now, what is the result of all of this? In the end, as you see in verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. Now, could you imagine the panic that this church was in when two of their top leaders left. So right now, if we had to, you have three elders here, right? So I have the, oh, there's two of you, and Ken is right there. Okay, so imagine if I said, no offense, Ken. Today, the Holy Spirit has called the two of you to plant a church in another part of the city. Well, I, I know you're saying no, but this is just for the sake of illustration. And if, and if the Holy Spirit said it, you don't get a choice, right? <laughs> so anyway, imagine everybody might go, oh my goodness, now we're only going to have one elder? How can we do that? That sense of panic <coughs> might actually set in. But I think at the church at Antioch, they were like, okay. Why? Because it wasn't about what Barnabas and Saul could do. It was about what the Holy Spirit was doing. You see, the Holy Spirit was working before Barnabas and Saul got there. And the Holy Spirit would keep working after Barnabas and Saul left and would keep working, and the church would keep growing. In fact, when you look at the book of Acts, the first part is about the church in Jerusalem, but the second part is about what the church at Antioch is doing. See, the issue is not about who Barnabas and Saul were. It was about the work of the Holy Spirit within them. So even if they went leaderless, they'd still be okay because when the church was growing by leaps and bounds, they didn't have the leaders that they had here. Now, do we have any doctors here? I know we have one. Paul, can you remind me, what kind of doctor are you? Pediatrician. Okay, cool. Pediatrician. Any other doctors? Pediatrician, by the way, you're not kidding around when you say that, are you? Sorry about that. Uh, any other doctors? Don't be afraid. I'm, I'm just out, out your doctors, man. Okay, you are? You're humble, <laughs> but you're not helping me. <laughs> what kind of doctor are you? Orthopedic trauma. Okay, so that's like bones, right? Did I get that right? And trauma, like broken bones. Okay, all right. Breaks my heart to hear that. I know, right? <laughs> Any other doctors? Come on, I got, do we have a cardiologist in here so I can say it warms my heart? We have a cardiologist. We oh, you're a cardiologist. Okay, well, you're the only elder at the church right now, according to this illustration, and it warms my heart to know that the spirit is in control here. So now, this is what we're going to do. We're, we live in America. It's kind of a democracy, and we're going to take a vote on the three doctors who is most important. Sound good? No, it doesn't sound good at all. They're all important in some way. Here's why I'm doing this. What I want you to see, when we look at our leaders, sometimes we look at our leaders and think, what will the church do if we don't have these leaders? 
And the Holy Spirit says, well, maybe you could just depend on me and we'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. You see, when Barnabas and Saul are called to go on a mission, this mission that God has given them, I don't think it phased the church at all. Because the church's trust and hope and faith wasn't in, in Barnabas and Saul. It was in Jesus and his spirit working in and through them. You see, what it says is that Barnabas and Saul were called on an assignment. They were told to go somewhere. They went somewhere because they were equipped. They were teachers. And so when you're sending people out onto the mission field, you're sending teachers. They weren't better. They weren't necessarily more spiritual. What they were were the people who were called by God to go on assignment. So what I'm trying to get us to see here at this church in Antioch is that they lived by the Spirit. And so there wasn't panic when two of their top leaders were gone. What there was was faith and trust because God continued to work in the church because they were living by the Spirit. Now, the thing about pastors sometimes will tell you, hey, this is what is happening. This is what you do. And we get to a place and then we go, what, how? You know, how does that work? Okay, I get it. They lived by the Spirit because they lived by the Spirit. They weren't trusting in people to lead them into the future. (coughs) They were totally trusting in the Spirit. Really good. Living by the Spirit. Everything about this church was Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that, Holy Spirit this, and they're growing by leaps and bounds. Great, fantastic. Now, how do you do that is the big question. And so I want to look at two things here is this. Number one, they fed on the Word of God. So when you look at Acts chapter 13, 1, it says here, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch, what you hear is the prophets and teachers is there was a teaching ministry that was actually going on. <coughs> they were teaching the word of God. If you went back to Acts chapter 11, verse 26, again, Barnabas and Saul were teaching large crowds of people. And when you go to 1535, after the council in Jerusalem, again, you have Barnabas and Saul teaching and preaching. (coughs) In the end, what you have is a church that is feeding on the word of God. They're feeding on the word of God. Now, what this means is the word of God was so much a part of their lives that if you connected with them, your talk is going to be about scripture. It's going to be about God. Have you ever wondered what's inside of a toothpaste tube? No, you never wondered, right? Right? Because when you know you're going to squeeze the tube, what's going to come out is toothpaste. Now, the color might be different based on the toothpaste that you use, but you know in the end you're going to get toothpaste, right? Have you ever wondered (coughs) in the midst of life when people bump into you, what comes out? Well, there's going to be a whole bunch of different answers, right? I don't know about you, but I'm going to make a confession here. I hate driving. I'm an impatient driver. I believe that I'm in the top 1% of skilled drivers on the road. Okay, just being honest. Okay, how many of you can amen that? How many of you believe you're one percenters? Let's be honest. There's a lot of one percenters here, and those... Slightly older people who take their time getting on the highway annoy us, frustrate us, 
people who don't turn with their, using their signal or people who stop and slow down trying to figure out what the sign says to it. Dude, GPS, man, it talks. Use it, right? But what I realize, when that happens, there's something inside of me. And if I'm going to be honest, it's ego. It's impatience. When pressed, what comes out? The ego and the impatience. I can go from listening to a worship song, beginning to feel God move in my emotions, and then suddenly, in the blink of an eye, become an angry, irate driver because of something that someone else did. That's what's inside of me when people press on me. But this church, when you press in on them, what they are doing is feasting and feeding on the word of God. What comes out? This church doesn't go, oh, wait a minute, time out. You can't take our two top leaders. That's not gonna work for us. You need to take someone else. Take six, seven, eight, nine, or 10, that's fine, but not uh, the top two. You just can't do that. But this church because they feed on the word of God, because they know and understand the words of Jesus that said that they would be witnesses and that they would have power when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they weren't worried about whether Barnabas and Saul were sticking around because they feasted on the word of God. The word of God was the thing that sustained the life of this church, and that's how they lived in the spirit. Because if you want to live in the spirit, you have to know what the spirit is thinking. And if the spirit wrote a scripture then we trust that the Spirit will speak to us through Scripture. You see, the Bible is not only a map, but the Spirit is a guide. Does that make sense? You see, you ever go somewhere and you have the GPS, which kind of helps, but you're still a little bit nervous about it? But if you, if you go someone's house, like for instance, you don't have to give us the exact address, and this is what you get for sitting in front. So the next time I'm going to come back, if you don't want to use it, you have to go sit back. But Hannah, where do you live? Naperville. Okay, so uh, just for those who live in Naperville, give us some like general cross streets. Like uh, Naperville Road and Deal or something. Okay, so now I could put it on GPS and get there, or I could ask you, you know, bring your family with, we'll go in the car, and it would be a lot easier. Then I can trust because you know where you're going because you would be the guide. So the Bible is the map, but the Spirit is the guide. And that's what we have when we make decisions as individuals and as a church. And this is what's happening in the book of Acts here at the church of Antioch. What they do in feasting in the word of God, they are not only taking the map, but they're also listening to the guide. And then they're doing something that just doesn't make sense. It does not make sense to send off your two top leaders to do mission. Unless... You're living by the Spirit, by feasting in the Word of God. But there's something else that's important here that goes on in this church, and it's this. The second thing is that they not only feast on the Word of God or feed on the Word of God, they are obedient to the Word of God. Look at verse 3 and what it says. It says, So after more fasting and prayer, the church laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Instantaneously, there's a sense of obedience. That dissonance, that void in our lives that we experience when we're trying to live in the, in the spirit is often because we're not doing something that God has asked us to do. Now, we don't know what, happened, what would happen if they had said, no, we're not sending them. We do know what happened when they did. But our struggle in life, if we're going to live by the spirit, we have to learn 
to obey what the Spirit actually tells us to do. Let me put this in a parental sense. Parents, of all of you that have kids, how many of you have the kind of kid that when you say something, they immediately do it? Look at all the kids going, hey, man, hey, man, raise your hand, mom. I listen all the time. Clean your room. You go upstairs, the room is spotless. You vacuum, you dust it, you put your clothes away nicely. That's awesome. You know, I feel so good about this. I need to take out the garbage. They go out, they clean the garbage can, right? That's a normal. Okay, we know that's not right. Imagine God as a parent asking his children to do what they need to do. And the response is, nah, not now. I'm going to get around to it. See, living by the Spirit, this, this spiritual life that we want to live, happens when we feast on the Word of God. And when God says something, we respond and do what He says. Is it easy? No, not always. Does it make sense? No, not always. Have you ever tried to forgive someone who's deeply hurt you? Right? It's not easy. And sometimes it takes a long period of time. But the church at Antioch, living by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, into the Word of God, when God says something, they actually do. Now let me finish with this. And I know you're all shocked. You're like, wow, we're already done. General application, I want to make two of them. Number one is this. When God does speak to his people in times of decision, he speaks through his word and the spirit. What helps us hear him and hear him clearly is often tied into the fullness of the spirit in our relationship with him. If you look at the church of Antioch, if you want to make life-altering decisions, the way to make those life-altering decisions is to trust that the spirit speaks to us through the word and the community, because the spirit spoke to the community, And in that speaking, when we know and trust him and what he wants to do, we can actually obey him and see the fruit of that. That's what we see when we live in the spirit. A spirit-filled people with a spirit-filled ministry will eventually have a spirit-filled mission. This is why I think it was so easy for the church at Antioch, because they said, listen, we have a mission. We are on mission with God. We will do what God wants us to do. We are seeing the fruit of it. Where the church in Jerusalem wasn't really sharing their faith in Judea and Samaria, now, with the persecution, we here in Antioch realize we are on a mission. We are seeing Jew and Gentile come to faith in Jesus. And so on this mission together, we want to stay on this mission, and we're going to listen because mission is what God is all about. You see, it leads me to a specific sort of uh, application in this, that the church is a worship center and a mission center. So that when we gather on Sunday, we don't only gather to worship, but we also gather to get online or aligned with the mission of God. Let me put it this way. I was reading a book the other day, and the author said something that I found to be profound. Maybe you don't, but it was. And he said, listen to this. Churches spend so much time on the Sunday event, on the one day. Like, this is the time we get everybody together. This is the time we got to do all this stuff. We have to be relevant. We have to be speaking to people. We have to, everything happens on Sunday. And he said, if you have that church mentality, you've missed what God actually wants us to do. Because the mission is not this 
one hour or one and a half hour Sunday event. The mission happens from Sunday to Sunday. And the reality when the church gathers on Sunday is that this is only halftime. It's not the game. The real game we've already played this week, and now we're working together. How do we fit this into our lives, God? And now at halftime, we're looking, how do we make adjustments? Because the mission that God has us on is a lifestyle. And so when you look at the church at Antioch, the lifestyle is living by the Spirit because they're feasting on the Word of God. When God speaks to them, they obey what God wants them to do, and they realize because we are on a mission, because it's God's missions that he's given us, when Barnabas and Saul are gone, it's like, so what? Because we, the church, have a message for the world that says, You can know God. You can be saved and set free from your sin. There is a God out there who has been proactively initiating, reaching out for you. And so when the church at Antioch hears that send them out on this mission to tell other Jews and Gentiles about Jesus, they're happy to let them go. I would imagine there was probably tears and sadness and grief but they recognized that they have come to worship Jesus and be on mission with Jesus. That's what the church is about. Us coming together today is to say, Lord, we praise you. And now, here I am. Send me. Let's pray.